You're listening to the Shifting Schools Podcast, episode 230. This episode is sponsored by Flexispot.com, the maker of ergonomic furniture. Check out their latest furniture and save $20 on their new E7 Pro Plus standing desk with height adjustability from 22 inches to 52 inches when you use the offer code SHIFTING20 at checkout. All right, welcome back to Shifting Schools. I'm here with my good friend and co-host, Trisha Friedman. Trisha, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Jeff? How's the start to your week? Uh, it's been it's been good. It's been good. The weather is holding on. Fingers crossed. We get just a little bit more here in the Pacific Northwest of this beautiful weather. Uh, so that's been good. We just got off a call with Nancy, who's been a good friend of ours from the International School of Luxembourg. Uh, I'm going to apologize in advance to people who aren't international educators. Uh, she talks about the ECIS and the CIS and the TPC, and <laughs> you're going to get a lot of acronyms uh, that are that international educators, our international audience will, will know. But uh, if you're not in that, you might need to go look some of those up. Just know they're all organizations. Uh, I think that's the easiest way to put it. They're all educational organizations that support international teachers. But. And I, I appreciate, um, you know, Nancy talks about kind of the pivot that she made from being at one school for 31 years, which is remarkable, and remarkable in the world of international education, but the world of education full stop. And I love that we dig into how she prepared for that pivot, how some of the work that she's doing currently is connected to what she was doing, and also just what it means to really focus in deeply, profoundly on trust and how it is showing up or not showing up at your school. Yeah, it was a great conversation just about even, you know, making pivots in being able to present, being able to be a leader. Uh, I love the uh, the conversation we had around trust, the conversation we had around even some of the protocols that you can get over, you can download free over at Shifting Schools under our free resources. We've got a lot of protocols. And the thing I love is what we were talking about today I kept thinking about those micro menus that you created, Trisha, that you can download for free over there. You know, how do we just honor, how do we build trust? I love that you bring that up in the, today's episode is this, this idea of how do we build trust amongst uh, our teams, amongst our, amongst our staff uh, and amongst our students in our classroom as well. I, again, I, I can't say enough about how great of a leader Nancy is. So listeners, hope you enjoy this conversation with her. Um, and I'll mention it comes up, you know, the idea of really respecting and truly appreciating and valuing your audience. So listeners, we feel the same way about you. And we love hearing from listeners um, when they let us know of a topic they'd like us to explore more deeply on the podcast. So if there's something you would like to see us discuss, you can always reach out on social media at Shifting Schools or email info at shiftingschools.com. We love, love, love hearing from listeners. Yeah. So here's a great conversation with Nancy, all about collaboration, making the pivot from being a full-time educator into a consultancy role. She now is a lead a lead learner leader over at ECIS, which is the European Council of International Schools. Uh, for those of you, uh, just a great conversation with a good friend of ours, Nancy from Luxembourg. And with that, on with the show. All right, welcome back to another episode of Shifting Schools. So excited to be here today with Trisha and our good friend, Nancy. Uh, we're going to get into it here in, in just a second. Uh, but, it, you know, it's that back to school season. 
this will be coming out sometime in September where we're in the middle of it. I was just scrolling through Facebook today, which I don't do very often. My wife and I both were sitting there going, when was the last time you were in Facebook? And it's, you're seeing everybody, you know, with their kids holding their sign first day of preschool and first day of eighth grade. And you're just like, oh my gosh, these kids grow up so fast, but uh, for better or for worse, we are in it here in September, ready to go. And not a, no better way than to kick this off than to have Nancy here. Nancy is a educational professional, professional in every sense of the world. Nancy, Aww. thank you for joining us on Shifting Schools. Give us a little bit about your background, introduce yourself, uh, and tell us a little bit about your history in education. Thank you. First of all, thank you both for letting me be here. I'm thrilled, thrilled, thrilled. Big fan of everything you do. So thank you for letting me be here. All right, a quick background. I don't want to bore people. So this is when you people might want to go to the bathroom right now and say, oh, we don't want to hear a background. So please stay. Uh, so just a quick background. I am uh, from New York originally. I know you can't tell by the accent because I lost it. Uh, originally a Brooklyn girl and started teaching in New York public schools. And then suddenly I met this guy and I thought he was cute and he was Belgian. And that all of a sudden launched me into international education. And unlike many international educators, they go to five, six, seven different schools. I was in the same school for 31 years. Um, which is quite unusual when you think of the journey that most educators take. But the positive was I was able to make incredible connections due to being involved with PTC and Learning 2 and CIS. So I, everyone makes fun of those educators that like, oh, I'm sorry, you've been at the same school for 31 years. And they always <laughs> look at you and make a, they tilt their head like, oh, you poor thing. But I see it as a benefit because uh, Luxembourg was my home and I was able to, I taught for 24 years and then I was an assistant principal of teaching and learning. And then finally I um, continued doing head of community, community relations, which was fabulous my last few years because it was only about sharing to parents why ISL is a school of choice. Hmm. And here I am just talking about my kids and my family and how much I love it. So um, it's been an incredible you know, journey, I would say, in terms of just working with educators all over the world, which I've been really fortunate with. Um, and with ISL, they've allowed me to do so many things. You know, I was able to do a lot of PD. Uh, we brought, we used to do like nine to 10 conferences a yeah. year on site. And my school was like, Nancy, just do it. I'm like, okay. And I would just bring people in. And that's how I met Jeff for the first time for Learning 2. Uh, all of a sudden they said, oh, for Learning 2, you have to have a restaurant. I'm like, we're not having a restaurant. We got a bus and we brought everybody to my house. And I loved it. <laughs> you know. And then I was able to do the loft, which was really a positive, a silver lining of COVID in terms of connecting. And uh, now, um, most recently, I retired. And this is when everyone says, Nancy, you're too young to retire. You look too young. Oh, why, thank you. Um, and I've started a new chapter, let's say, in terms of leaving ISL, which was very difficult because it's been a very supportive and it's a loving. I know you can't say school is a family because you're supposed to really differentiate, but they really became quite close because when I started at ISL, they were like 200 children. And when I left, there were 1,300 children. Wow. You know, it's, I remember for my wedding, I invited the entire lower school staff. There was only 40 <laughs> of them. You know, you just thought, you just invite everyone. That, that's what you do. And now I could never invite the whole staff. That's like 350 people. That'd be quite a bill for drinks. So, you know, I wouldn't, uh, 
do it that way. So now I am working for ECIS um, as the lead facilitator and trainer. So I'm kind of thrilled about that, uh, that, that they took me on. Yay. Well, we're, we're sure that they are lucky to have you. And we'd like uh, to just get a, a few more details about the, the new roles that you have mm-hmm. and go into the specifics of sort of the work that you're doing and how mm-hmm. that learning is perhaps connected to work that you were doing prior. Mm-hmm. You know, congratulations on the new chapter, but it's a chapter that, you know, is within the same book, if you will. Yeah. So we, we'd mm-hmm. love to hear a little bit more about some of the organic links that are there for you in that work. You know, I was very privileged, as I mentioned, that I was able to have, um, I had incredible directors, and one was Chris Bowman, and he's the one who watched me facilitate at ISL, and he was the one who said, you should start becoming a trainer. And this man was just a beautiful, you know, that uh, YouTube by Dudley about lollipop moments. He made lollipop moments for me every day. I mean, there's something about him, and I was able to tell him. So he got me into facilitation. Um, so I was privileged to start working for PTC almost almost ten over ten years ago, and then I got into facilitating for ECIS over about in 2014. So when this opportunity came up to be a lead facilitator, I was it was almost seamless because I've been doing that outside of my job. And also when I was an assistant principal, I loved facilitating meetings. I loved getting my phone and making them put their lights up as if we were in a concert. So for me, elevating voice and getting fun out of a meeting and fun is not in negation. It's actually people learning more actively. There's this great YouTube about, was it Volkswagen and how they changed a staircase and an escalator, and more people went up the staircase because it was more fun, and they got more engaged. That's what I love about facilitation, that you can make it more fun. So between working for PTC, and then working for ECIS, and then assistant principal, kind of the segue to being lead facilitator, to me, just was a natural next step. And I just love the idea of working, even virtually, I love both, and on site. So getting this offer to work for ECS and also there's a new CEO cam and it, I was very privileged. I had um, several offers after people knew I was retiring, but cam just was somebody that her integrity and her sincerity as an individual resonated with me. I need someone with heart because I'm, I need someone that I can connect to as a person. And uh, she was one that I knew if she was, you know, she is the leader that's an organization I could support rather than another organization where maybe monetarily or maybe they were just this whatever wasn't really me. She's what I stand for in terms of international education. And again, having a pillar of who she is and what she wants to impact student learning. So how lucky am I to be with Cam and the team? And I knew the team already, which was great. So I'm like, lucky for me. Yeah. If you, I mean, I, I love that we're having you on right now because I know we know there's a lot of educators as there is every year moving into different roles uh, and maybe finding themselves in a facilitator role for the first time, much like you're now full-time doing this facilitation work. What are What's maybe some advice that you have for those that find themselves in a facilitator role? And if you can speak to, because I think it's been, it's an interesting time to move into that role. As you were saying, the face-to-face is what we all love. I mean, as a consultant, I love right. being face-to-face, but we've all had to pivot a little bit and learn how to do stuff online. And I don't think that's going to go away for a host of different reasons. Right. Can you kind of talk about what that's been like for you and what advice you mm-hmm. give to people who find themselves in a facilitator role right now? 
I, I, I think you're right between it, the virtual never go away. It provided such equity and connection that we never had. Um, you know, I, I think I got to meet Trisha more because of what happened during COVID than ever. I've never seen a really face to face. So for me, it's been a privilege. And I think schools are seeing it as well in terms of also cost and what you get in with attendance and enrollment really being quite volatile in terms of people's positions. Virtual is a way to get groups of teachers to get engaged. And mm. um, when doing facilitation, I would say just virtually, the biggest, I would say, advice would be don't get the slide deck that you had for face-to-face thinking it's going to work virtually, number one. Number two, you have to study it. You, it takes more preparation for me virtually than face-to-face. Because when I used to do face-to-face and I was like, I'm not really sure where I am right now. I'm like, okay, everybody, turn to your partner and talk and unpack and think of a five-word summary. And inside, I'm like, what the hell am I, what am I doing next? Because, and then <laughs> they wouldn't even know it. But virtually, you're right in front of them. There's no way. So that intentionality of impact and engagement and scheduling, like I always think of 10-2. I speak for 10 minutes, two minutes of engagement. Like you have to have them unpack, checking for understanding. So number one, if you're doing virtual facilitation, it's the intentionality, it's the preparedness, and it's not the same skill set that you had on face-to-face. It's a totally new, and that's what I love what I'm doing now is I have to, I'm in the learning mode again. Mm -hmm. I'm researching people that I never thought, I've always used adaptive schools, but now I'm looking at uh, this one resource I love. His name is Chad Littlefield. I love his work. I love his YouTube. It's all about, he does face-to-face, but he's done a real focus on virtual. And I'm relearning how to do certain types of protocols and strategies virtually. Mm. And that is the intentionality. I think some people, because I still go on a Zoom and people are talking to their slide deck and they have bullet points. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, have you read Zen presentation? Have you read <laughs> Talk Like Ted? You know, it's like, yeah. and to me, I find it insulting after two yeah. years that people still think that's acceptable, mm-hmm. that you really need to think about honoring people's time and respecting that their work day and ensuring mm-hmm. that when they leave this situation, that they actually have a takeaway that's immediate. Um, as soon as I see a PowerPoint where the person's talking and there's more than seven bullet points, I'm like, thank you so much. I have another meeting. Like I just, <laughs> it's, it, it's too, it's being lazy to me. So in terms of virtual, it's that definitely being prepared and you have to le- relearn so many, I mean, Trisha, you, well, both of you know, you, we're all on it all the time. It was yeah. a new landscape, um, that a lot of facilitators did not realize the impact like what I'm doing, I'm talking too much right now. So I'm supposed to check for understanding right now. You know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. knowing when to stop talking and also taking risk and trying new virtual spaces. Mm-hmm. I mean, a Zoom room is great, but how about Kumo space? What about Wonder? What about different types of ways to get people engaged? Because I, you know, I hear about Zoom fatigue. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's Zoom fatigue. I think it's just bad facilitation. Ooh, I agree 100%. You know? Trisha, how about you? You know, we've done a ton of stuff 
virtually and we've been learning a lot together uh, as partners and then you know trying stuff on what, what what are some advice that you have along i mean everything nancy said nailed it and do you have anything else you'd like to add yeah you know i, I think nancy underneath what you were saying is really this belief and this value that the folks who are a part of your session we we have to appreciate and value them, mm -hmm. right? And part of that means giving them the space to co-create, to collaborate. Um, and I think, Jeff, you and I talk all the time about this idea of using silence as a thought partner, Absolutely. giving people some room to just reflect, collect their thoughts, almost, you know, like move your eyes and your, your perspective away from the screen, mm -hmm. get into your own zone, and then maybe, you know, a breakout room or then be participating. But the pace of it, I feel like needs to, or, or it's been to me, maybe the learning has been slow down. You know, it is much better to have conversations at depth than to, you know, like you were saying, Nancy, like get through what you think are your objectives. But um, part of the joy of professional learning, I think, is having just really, really great conversation and debate. Um, but, you know, we need time for that. You can't, rush it. Well, so it's connections. I mean, that's mm -hmm. what I feel like it's what sometimes it's missing. When I see this, something's a webinar, sometimes I don't even want to engage. I don't need to be, or I put it on and I'm walking around the house or I put it on my headphones and yeah. I just listen. But I, I, Trisha, I totally agree. It's that collaboration, it's that connection. It's feeling like I'm being elevated in some way and honoring people's processing. When you look at international school teachers, look at their also their languages, their proficiencies. Their English might not be their you know their best language. So, are we honoring how they? We keep on saying how we differentiate for our students. Are we differentiating for those who are attending our session? So yes, let's shut the video off. Why don't we just you know I love doing eye yoga. You know at the end of the session, let's just stop and bring a center to ourselves. Rather than saying, thank you so much, bye, you know, and then mm -hmm. click off. How do we bring everyone back to their center mm -hmm. before they leave and just respecting, you know, them as learners and to differentiate accordingly for that one hour session, which as, as I mentioned, some people take for granted the planning it takes for an hour session, mm. you know, yeah, it, it, the I intentionality. Agree. Yeah, the intentionality is is huge, and I love you can't just take your old slide deck and throw it into a virtual session and, and run with it and think it's going to work. It's a it's a whole different way of presenting, and you have to remember that. I I love that we're headed down this track because one of the things that you do a lot of lead learning on is around this idea of collaboration, mm -hmm. and I don't think it gets enough. Uh, I don't think we talk about it enough in education because we just assume that educators know how to collaborate. You know, you all just became, hey, congratulations, you're the new fourth grade team. You all know how to collaborate. Just go do it. And what I love is that a lot of the work that you do is around supporting schools, supporting teams Absolutely. in this idea around collaboration. Can you kind of talk to that? And, mm -hmm. and what are some things that you're seeing and why, are, why is that such a passion of yours? I think I've been so fortunate that the that I, even working with the staff that number one I've seen the power of when you get you know Kath Murdoch uses this word which is called the collaboration hum mm -hmm. that when you know the collaboration is working there's a certain hum in the room and recently I've been proposing the idea of getting a balance and this is not my work it's from Hargraves of getting a balance between trust. And, he, and they call it precision. And precision is the use of strategies. So the example that they say is when you have a team that has low trust and low precision, that means they don't use any strategies, norms, or protocols. 
there's no collaboration. Then they talk about the idea of when you have high precision and low trust. And that example is when you have a leader who's just telling what to do, how to do it at a meeting and not allowing for the staff to unpack or teams to unpack, but that looks super organized because there's an agenda and you know you're doing this and this, but it's not allowing that reflection time. So that's contrived. Then they talk about that. Then I mentioned the idea of when you have very high trust and low precision. And this is where I talk to teams as saying, you've been together a really long time. You have a very high trust. You know each other's kids and families. You know each other. And you just know every month you kind of do moderated grading. You don't know how you do moderated grading, but you know you do it. But imagine a new team person comes to your team. How do they know what is the parameters of moderated grading? They have no precision. They have no protocol. And it's actually ineffective because it's not part of the organization. It's actually because that team has such a high level of trust that they actually just can anticipate each other's actions. But yet for the organization, it's actually a real, real void because once that team goes or dissipates, you have absolutely no accountability of how that actually occurred in terms of how they spoke to one another to impact student learning. So then they talk about the idea of having high trust and high precision, using protocols that allow equal voice, that elevate voice, precision, protocols, and that then develops the psychological safety, you know, the idea of being able to get feedback. So it's those four quadrants that I find really, because a lot of teams that I've worked with at ISL, sometimes it's informal. They have that trust, no protocols. And then I've seen leaders that I visit schools, they show me, Nancy, I've done this, I've done this, they do, you know, drop in, and I'm like, that's great, but it's so contrived. Because within that time, teachers aren't really unpacking. They're pretty much being told what to do. So for me, I just, when you see that, I'll use cathematics, that hum, I find it just, it's a high for me. I just think I love just seeing when people feel that they're actually embracing what the expertise of their colleagues are that you don't get anything better than that within a, within a school, I think. And it also validates who they are as educators, you know, what they can bring. I, 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 there's no other word for it. I just find it, um, I'm, I'm so fortunate to be able to work with educators that embrace that type of collaboration. And those who don't, when they see the power of it, they, when they go to another org school, they miss it. They realize, oh, I really, I had it the structures, the protocols that allowed me to develop that psychological safety. So I just think it's, but again, it goes down to intentionality. It's planning. When a leader shows up late for a meeting and they don't have the meeting agendas, inclusion activities, you know, it's a shame because many leaders think inclusion activities has to be like a kumbaya moment, you know, Hey, let's do bingo. And I'm like, no, that's not an (laughs) inclusion activity. Inclusion activity has a learning outcome related to where you want the team to develop. It's not like, okay, let's like, I don't know, color, you know, it's, it's not the same. So, yes. So I just think what we have in international schools, the expertise, I feel like we should use any platform to keep on elevating those voices. It's a privilege. It really is. 
I'm so glad to hear you mention that and the significance of trust, Nancy. And like, this is a little bit of shameless um, shifting schools promotion here, but we actually do have a free guide called Taking Time for Trust in our resource library. And we've been trying to do more. Anybody who's following us on social will see some of our prompts that are looking to get into that balance, like Mm -hmm. you were talking about, of thinking about trust and thinking about how authentic it is versus how much we're assuming that there is trust. So, um, you know, I'm thinking even recently we have a four corners prompt that asks people, you know, which of the corners most closely resonates with what your experience has been with debate. Uh, Mm -hmm. because, you know, we've all been in those, those settings or those meetings where it's like, okay, let's debate this idea. But as you were saying, Nancy, not every school has a culture of collaboration and there Mm -hmm. might be some folks who are new to that school. They're sitting there and they're thinking, um, I'm not going to say anything because the last time I debated exactly. an idea with, you know, somebody who was the school leader, I was snubbed later on, or, you know, I was, you know, sort of told that my idea d- wasn't, wasn't relevant right then. Um, so again, just digging into those different experiences and learning more about, um, you know, what's been your experience as an educator is going to shape the way that you approach teaming. And I just think we've got to make more time and more space to have those discussions. No, there was a recent blog in Edutopia. It was February. I only know because I just read it 2022. And it talked about how we could talk about relationships and trust are so essential to effective schooling, but yet leaders rarely get direct instruction on how to mm. develop trust. They assume that once you get the leadership title, yeah. oh, it's just a natural thing, but there is no really, and I don't like the word direct instruction, but really just saying, have you, what are you doing to ensure that you are modeling the behaviors? You know, there's, there's so many trust models out there, you know, um, just pick one, but stick to it. You know what I mean? Like, but right now it's that void that, um, you find some educators leaving schools because of it. It's that culture. Well, and I agree with you. I think there is, there's, there's this inherent thing. And and I don't know if it's just in schools, but I mean, we all work in schools, but there is this kind of in, we just believe that once you become a leader, like you got your first principal job, great. You know how to lead, you know how to effectively run a staff meeting, or we know, we know we have a lot of technology and instructional coaches that listen to the podcast. And all of a sudden you get your first instructional coaching position and it's okay. Now you know how to coach because you've been given the position. You just know how to, and coaching peers is a completely different and learning to collaborate and running protocols, completely different skill set than being a peer in the classroom and Mm -hmm. being a classroom teacher, you know, with your, you know, with your, your group. But I just think we do we do such a disservice a lot of times just believing that, oh, you've got this position, you must know how to do this. And then we just and then we find out that you don't and things don't work well at those schools. You know, even for me today, I have a book, I'm not even gonna show you, that I'm constantly trying to learn new approaches that allows different voices to be heard. And for me, I enjoy that. It was, it's almost like research. I know I have to read this book. I know I have to read this book. You know, anytime Trisha, if somebody mentions a book, I'm like, okay, I have to read this. You know, it's that constant, you want to, I don't have enough time to read everything that I want to, but at least there's a desire to. What's disappointing is when you have certain leaders, like you said, Jeff, that just think, oh, I have this position. I can just walk into a meeting. Yeah. The, the behavior that you model as a leader in facilitation 
to me, that is an eco. It's almost like um, you should be modeling what you want your teachers to be doing in the classroom. So if you're just talking to your staff for 45 minutes and you're not checking for understanding, allowing for engagement, elevating voice, well, how are you modeling what you want the teachers to be doing with their students? Yeah. And you got a slide deck that has 17 bullet points Voila. going through stuff. And then, <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's this great, you know, adaptive schools talks about triple track that what you do as a facilitator should be applicable to the attendees that you are working with, should be applicable to your team and should be an applicable, applicable to, I can't even, I say applicable today. <laughs> I'm saying it very, very special today um, to the students in your classroom. That if you have this certain approach or protocol, you should have three different environments or ecosystems that you could use them in. And I'm like, that's so true. If I'm doing, you know, three, two, one, you know, three pieces of feedback, two questions, whatever I can do with my team. And then I can also do it with my students. And I love that idea of triple track, that application between those three different cohorts. It just makes it, you know, and then you can see the impact of it. Definitely. Yeah. And that's one thing I love. And Trisha, I'll let you talk to this, but I think our micro menus that we have over at Shifting Schools, again, in our free resources, you know, the way that you've designed those micro menus are ways to get those conversations. You can use those in a team meeting. You can use those as a principal in a staff meeting, but a teacher can grab those and either make small little tweaks or just take and use them with kids. Like the same process, that same protocol of using micro menus works regardless of what's the relationship between, between the people in the room. And again, I, you know, doesn't assume that there is trust, but seeks to build it. So there's choice exactly. in all of those. And I think um, that, that's, I, I think that's, for me, that's always like, a, people talk about red flags, like how do you know something's going to be bad? But I love talking about green flags too, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I often will know a leader is mindful, is respectful, is caring of their team when they're always trying to provide choice, right? Like mm -hmm. that's just such a great way that we can meet folks where where they are. Um, Nancy, you were talking about books, and I've been thinking a lot about this book called Big Feelings by Molly West and Liz Foslin. Folks might know some of their illustrations. They always turn up in places like Forbes and Harvard Business Review. They've got great little um, cartoons that they also say, hey, you know, take, use this in your presentation mm -hmm. if you would like. Um, and they I think coined the phrase selective vulnerability. So they, you know, talk about how leaders are always being told you have to be vulnerable. You have to be, you know what I, yes. And we also, <laughs> you know, have our own boundaries, right? So they really tried to frame it from choose the things in which you're going to be vulnerable about and will mm -hmm. be meaningful for your audience, right? Like exactly. not everybody needs to know like my very personal story about exactly. thing X, Y, Z, like what is going to be important to them and is comfortable for me to share. So I'm wondering, Nancy, again, you, you're entering into this complete new arc in your yeah. educational journey. It's difficult. I was so happy to be at the session where, you know, you were kind of celebrating the end of your time at, at ISL. That was such a nice way, I think, to honor what you did for that community. Oh, um, and I know that whenever people are in that position of, okay, I'm breaking away from something that, you know, has been a part of my identity for years and years and years, starting that next thing is is hard. And we will have many listeners who will be thinking that the jump that you've just made, maybe they're getting ready to make it. So selective vulnerability, Nancy, can you share some wisdom for those who are uh, thinking, I, I want a new challenge? What, what What's going to help me? You know, I for me, it was almost saying, um, 
was it the right time, you know, for, for, because I didn't have to retire officially because mm-hmm. in Luxembourg, you retire after 40 years. So I actually had my 40 years of service. Um, very, And then I thought, I'm 58. Do I really want to stop? Then I knew I couldn't stop because I drive my husband crazy. And uh, <laughs> I'd be like, okay, what do you want to do? So I knew I wanted to do something. The, the change for me was more or less looking at knowing that if I was going to do such a transition, I had to have certain certain things in my life in place. So I knew that I had to, first of all, I couldn't just leave ISL with nothing going into. There's no way I said I have to, even if it's three days a week, I knew I had to be doing something. So knowing my personality, knowing I I could not just sit in kale and I mean, I have cows behind me and forests. There's no way. So my, the first piece of advice, if you are going to have a change, ensure you have something that you're changing to. Some people I know have retired and then they, didn't have anything that they were working towards. And it was kind of like a loss. They didn't know what to do with themselves. So for me, I was very fortunate that ECS was like, we want, you know, I was like, oh my God, they really want me. They like me. They like me. Sally Field, (laughs) the Academy Awards. They really like me. So that to me was a thrill. And then it was actually looking at my own personal space. Um, Now that I was so used to going to school for 36 years, you know, so I'd get up, I'm, I'm an early riser. I get up at 4.30, I'm at school between 5.30, 6, and I usually left around 7. And then that was my day. Um, suddenly, I'm home all day. So it's those typical things you read about. I had to make sure. So I cleaned my office. I clean, you know, I made sure my space was really a workspace that differentiated from the house. And now, for me, it was boundaries. Because when I worked at the school, if there was ever an issue, I'd be there at 7 o'clock on a Saturday or somebody needed help. Now I have to say, I'm offline now. And mm-hmm. with ISL, I loved it, but it was always, I have to admit, I shouldn't be, it was always ISL. I was always worried that everything was okay with the staff. And now I have to take a step back and make sure there's a balance for me because suddenly you could be online for 15 hours. So I actually, you know, so I guess advice number one, making sure you have a next step for me personally, knowing my personality, know yourself. Once you've decided that, it's almost a think of your own personal space. I had to make an area in this house that was only for me. And then I had to set new boundaries for myself and to let people know. And I have to admit, Cam's been great about that because I I work three days a week. And Cam's like, you are off on Friday. You should not be answering emails. So I was my first time I was answering emails. She's like, you're off. Yeah. You have to learn that. And she was so great about it. And I was like, oh, because even when you were off working in a school, you always did things. Yeah, you always did it. And now she's like, you're off now. You have to take time offline. And that was something really new to me. And I think the biggest change for me is now I really have to be much more intentional with connecting with people. Because I went to school every day. So you would always say, hey, let's get together on Friday for a drink. Now I don't see anybody for the whole day. So I really have to be like, oh, you know, planning this, making sure when people invite me, you know, I, I respond. That's very different for me because I'm so used to just, and most people know I don't go out. I, I don't like bars. I, I, I like to be in bed early. Like I'm the biggest like yoga pants lady you'll ever see. And people think, <laughs> Nancy, you're so wild. You're so loud. I'm like, no, once I'm home, I hate going out. So now I really have to think someone invited me out. I, I really have to push myself to go out because otherwise I'm alone. 
And I really have to think of those relationships and making those connections much more than I did working at a school. So I don't know if there was advice in there. I think I babbled for a bit, but it's just the idea of rethinking your space, how you connect with people, and also putting yourself, um, especially on virtual, anybody who's working virtually, to stop and get offline. That to me, I, I, you just think you're always online when you work at school. Now I have to say, stop. You know, yeah. even tonight I thought, okay, I have this, and then you know, you, you want to get offline after this, and it's yeah. healthy and well-being. I think COVID elevated that, but now being a virtual, uh, it's definitely much more on the forefront of when I think about when I start. So if I start at five, I'll get off by four, and I love that. I'm like, wow. That never I've got a half a day. I don't seriously do half a day. I have a half a day. I could go shopping on a Thursday. Like yeah. I can get food shopping. <laughs> I don't have to wait till Saturday anymore. I love yeah. that. Yeah. And I think that's one thing I found, you know, I think both my wife and I found when we left the school, you know, even when we moved back here to the States, uh, my wife was a school counselor here at a public school for another seven years here in Seattle. And so we still had those connections, right? Mm-hmm. We had the the happy hour and there was, you know, the school auction and, and you still had connections to, and then when we both are now working self-employed and I wouldn't even say yeah. just working from home. I mean, we do work from home, but it's just being self-employed when you're used. And I think you're right in education, especially overseas, like international teachers will, mm-hmm. you know, I know I could just see everybody shaking their head. Like you, they, you, that becomes your friend group yes. and you do everything together Tricia, how's it been for you? I mean, you guys have moved back now a couple of years. Have you found that? It's it's just, it's different. It is different. But, you know, I'm thinking uh, here in Canada, my wife's school are now trying to figure out, they've implemented, I think this started in France first, the mm-hmm. right to disconnect law. So that's mm-hmm. come to our province here in Canada. Wow. And so the school is trying to navigate, okay, so how do we want to organize communication around this, you know, do we want to encourage people making use of like the Gmail schedule send, or Mm -hmm. do we really just want to lean into what that law is trying to implement, which is like you said, Nancy, upholding that boundary around, no, I'm just not working right now. Exactly. Um, And, uh, you know, you were talking about this, this next chapter and how that's good advice, but I really think actually that boundary is great for Anyone mm-hmm. everywhere really questioning um, what what are the work hours that are going to allow you to have the energy that you need to do what you do best, right? Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's it's always good to think about that and think about, um, you know, when, when we're creating presentations, right? We can tweak them when we're working on lessons. We could improve it, find another thing, another thing. And then, oh, an hour of our evening has gone by versus – Sometimes this thing is good enough and I'm going to have a little more energy for the students, for my peers. I'm going to have a little more time with my family. That's um, it. It's the family. From, it's, it's really family. That, yeah. um, and at this time, my, my son, one son is living in London and I get to go see him now. You know, like I, I, I want to embrace where he is. And I was very fortunate. Both my boys went to school at ISL. So I was always able to see them. I don't know if they liked it because I knew everything, you know, like, yeah. oh, I know what you got on that test. You know, the poor kids, you know, and I was assistant principal and there's your mom always there. But it's really, and I, Trish, I couldn't agree with you more. We talk about how COVID was going to change us. And I'm hoping that most schools did not go back to that 
the same routine. Sadly, I think many of us did, you know, we're still yeah. looking at exams. We're still looking at everything we said we would change. Um, I don't know if it really has. I do feel that COVID has made an impact in terms of pastoral care at schools, looking at the mental, social, the well-being of the students and the staff. Mm. And that has continued in terms of knowing the impact it will take on the students and the staff. Um, And that has to continue. It can't be one of these initiatives that we're just saying, um, okay, it's the right thing to do, or this is what we should be doing. It's really something that uh, I've taken to heart and which I never did. I would work, like I said, 11 hours at school. And I'd be like, that's normal. I'm like, no. And now I'm like, don't work on Friday. Love this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Nancy, it's always so great to get a chance to, to catch up with you and talk. Uh, if people want to reach out uh, to learn more about you, to maybe have you come in and do some facilitation mm-hmm. around collaboration in their schools, what's the best way for people to reach out? Um, they can definitely connect with me on Twitter. I'm Nancy uh, in Lux One. Also on the ECIS website, uh, I know what's great is with COVID somewhat not really, well, hope dissipating, um, I'm visiting schools. I just went to Saigon South, which I love. I'm going to um, other schools that are finally saying, oh, we can have somebody come. Uh, so that's been a real thrill. So definitely the ECS website and then my Twitter, if you want to reach out, uh, because we have a lot of things coming up and I'll be working with John Micton again. So we have a big surprise coming up with John who I adore and, um, just some other things. We're going to start some book clubs and I'm doing, um, a lot of middle leaders, which I love middle leadership. I think they are the change agents. We have to get that out there. Uh, I do cafes, which is so much fun. It's just building their PLN and just getting them together is to me a thrill. Uh, so there's quite a bit coming up. So I'm, I'm really happy that uh, ECS is supporting me and allowing me to just do workshops and they uh, appreciate my style, which I kind of like. So I don't have to get too quiet or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have I have a prediction I'm going to make. And yes. Nancy, I don't know if it's already been on like your back burner, but Jeff, listeners, I feel like you will hear it here first. I predict the next time we're interviewing Nancy on the podcast is to talk to her about a new book that she'll have coming out. <laughs> I, I see know. that in the future. I see that in the future. <laughs> Yeah. And I, I will just say, you know, as we're getting ready to wrap this up and get out of here today, um, I've learned so much from watching oh. Nancy facilitate meetings, facilitate conversations. You know, uh, it's, it's on, there were times when I was working, cause I worked for, I don't know what it was, five years with the international yeah. school of Luxembourg, three years for the international school of Luxembourg. Mm-hmm. But there were so many times where I was in meetings where Nancy was running the meetings and I'm scribbling down notes like, Oh, that is so good. <laughs> the way she set that up, like as a facilitator, learn so much just watching oh, other people you. facilitate. And Nancy, you, you, you're, you're so good at it. Um, and so just, if you get an opportunity to, to hear Nancy, to bring her into your school, to be a part of anything that she's doing online, uh, it really is. It, you get so much, not just from the learning that she's that she's uh, you know putting out there, but also just the way that she structures it. Mm. I mean, I, I learned as much. You know, being a being a consultant and a presenter myself, I'm constantly looking at that side of things as well. Like, oh, okay. I love that. I love the way you set that up and, and mm. you know transitioned uh, into that. So, Nancy, appreciate everything you do. Um, 
and, and all the learning that you've done for me personally as well. So appreciate it. Well, you guys are both fabulous. And I have to, I'm going to do a plug for you guys. Your protocols that are free are people should be downloading all of them in terms <laughs> of you're talking about elevating voice. So thank you for this opportunity and what you're doing. I mean, on Twitter, people, I mean, you are rock stars. So thank you both. I just feel like what is this is what I love about international schools and things like this. So thank you both for this time. You're so kind. Thank you, Nancy. Thanks, Nancy.